0: If you grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians, we'll continue our sermon series this morning. In chapter 3, as I have prepared to preach verse 7 through 11 this morning in a sermon that I've titled, Grace at Work. As we look to verse 7 this morning in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul says, Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. Last week in my sermon in Ephesians 3, 3-6, we dug into the mystery that God has made known in the New Covenant. That mystery is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a covenant of redemption made by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in eternity past before creation to save and redeem and adopt a worldwide people who are undeserving of His grace but joyful recipients of it. The saving work of God is truly the most beautiful picture of grace and specifically the grace of God at work. And in the next part of Paul's letter here today, as we move into verse 7 and beyond, Paul is going to give us a number of ways that God's grace is at work in and through his redeemed people. So Paul starts in verse 7 here by saying, "...of this gospel, this mystery that's been made known to us who are saved, this grand and eternal covenant of God to redeem." Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To make the mystery known, to make the gospel known, God has ordained that there are ministers. Ministers are carriers, they're witnesses, people committed to spreading the good news. Of Jesus. Paul is commissioned with this important work. And in a moment, I want to show you that all who are saved are also commissioned with this task to minister. Let me first note that Paul sees the means by which he is called to ministry. See with me here in verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. It is God alone who saves and sends. It is by God's amazing grace alone that anyone is saved. It is by the working of God's power that He accomplishes all that is needed to save and transform and to successfully send any of us unto gospel ministry. Church, we must never lose sight of this essential and fundamental fact. Anything you do that is good, helpful, insightful, fruitful is because of Christ at work in you, church. You and I are utterly dependent on God's grace for everything we do. Waking up, breathing, cognitive motor function, critical thinking are all the means of Christ at work to sustain creation. But also, everything that we, the saved, do that is spiritually good testifying the gospel, teaching others, serving, and on and on is because of God's grace. Our ministry must never become about us. This is our temptation in our flesh. It must never become about us. Why? Because it's about God. And it is because of God. To take credit, to demand that you have a voice, to proclaim that you're better or more deserving than another is not gospel reality It is the flesh at work in you. May we engage our gospel ministry and living with humility and joyful dependence on God for all that we get to do for His namesake. Now it's clear that Paul has been made a minister of the gospel, but you must realize that everyone who is saved is called to minister. The title minister is often used in our modern culture for people like me. Pastors and elders who who are called by God to lead the flock, lead the saved. But this makes the true purpose of this title confusing. While it's true of, of me and Rob and Matt and other pastors and elders, it's also true of you who are saved. We are uniquely prepared, qualified, called to shepherd the flock of Christ. And of us there are few for the office of pastor elder. But this is not the case for the work of ministry. The work of the minister is for all who are saved. Every one of you who is saved in Christ are ministers of the gospel. The word minister means one who executes the commands of another, especially a master, a servant, or a ki- is a, it is a servant of a king. The way Paul has already described this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. A minister is a, a manager or a steward of God's grace. We are to steward the glorious grace of God shown and perfectly accomplished and applied for all he has ordained to be saved and set free by such grace. The stewardship, the management we're called to testify of, to teach, is the grace of God that saves many, although not deserving in any way. Therefore, it is truly grace. Grace. See with me, church, the gospel and its ministry flow from grace and they point to grace. Beloved, we are only able to do ministry, to testify and teach because of God's grace at work in us. See with me that our testimony and teaching... The goal of it is to point others to God's saving grace. Now let's look at verse 7 and 8 together and hear Paul's additional emphasis for this truth. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's ministry and our ministry to testify or preach God's grace, we only do because of God's grace. Look closer with me at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul says he's the least, the very least that means the very bottom of the pile but how does the most influential leader among the saints speak this way how do you and i humbly every day that god gives us to testify think and speak this way The way we do that, church, is when the grace of God is rightly and fully understood. It's always circling back to the truth of the gospel to reorient our thinking, to keep us from moving past the gospel, to moving into some phase of accomplishment or maturity or arrival. We must remember it's always by grace. See, Paul sees clearly Who he was apart from Christ and who he now is in Christ. We must see our sin rightly in order to understand the power of grace to its fullest. Consider the testimony of Ananias, who was sent by the Lord to Paul, at that time named Saul, at his conversion in Acts chapter 9 10 through 16. Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him much, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Think about, church, what Saul was known for. And Ananias reflects on it here. How wicked and anti-Christian he was. Infamous for, I mean, truly known, feared, hated. But realize, no matter how lost a person may be, no matter how wicked they may be, the call of God on our life, in His timing, in His power, is an unavoidable reality. God's grace is truly irresistible and, is, and it will absolutely transform us from the inside out when he deems so. See with me, if you lack true humility in your life, if you're guilty of wanting accolades from others, credit, if you're guilty of wanting it to go your way, whatever that it might be, If you're guilty of feeling like you deserve something, fill in the blank. Realize in these longings you have a gospel issue. You don't need to be more humble in a forced discipline kind of way. Just add some religion and force humility. You need to see and savor the gospel truth in your life so that it humbles you. So that you can say with Paul, truly and regularly, I am the very least of all the saints. Because you see, you deserve none of it. You deserved wrath. You deserved judgment because of your sin. But in God's grace, He set you free. And it's your honor, privilege to serve Him and make much of His name. See with me, church, what this does to our call to serve, our call to fulfill our God-given roles in our life. It humbles us. We don't need our circumstances to go our way because we have Christ. Because I'm born again. I'm free from needing the things of the flesh, the ways of this temporary life to go the way I want them to be because I have Christ and I have Him internally. Amen? Understand with me, beloved, gifts of ministry do not raise us above those to whom we minister. Rather, they are the grace and blessings of God through Christ to enable us to go low. To be quick to say, I'll go to the back of the line. To count ourselves as nothing. To be willing to go last in order to serve and testify the power and joy of the gospel to others. And it never becomes about rank. It never becomes about position. It never becomes about what we've earned. Or what we're due. It never becomes about our skill set being better than another's. As John the Baptist said so well in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. Do you get this, church? Are you looking for ways to apply this to your your life today? Are, Are you using this truth to loosen your grip on that by which you've been entrusted? I'll tell you, I pray often. That I would hold loosely the call to, to shepherd this flock. That if it be God's will that I sell cars or clean drains tomorrow, that my life is not undone, that my value is not diminished, because I'm in Christ. Our appointment to serve and to do this or that belongs to God. And the question is are we willing to serve? Are we ready to go? Here I am, Lord, send me. Are we ready to be demoted? I was talking to a, a national group of chaplains, motorcycle club I'm a part of, on a call this week. And one of the things we recognized in some of the biblical leaders that have come before us as we were talking was their humility, their readiness to serve, to set down their position to do the most humble task. And in our club, over thirty years of its ministry, we've seen men rise to great rank and file things that, in our flesh, uh, the motorcycle word, you long for, and then be stepped down, and then be given a different assignment. And sadly, in people's flesh, we've seen them rebel, kick and scream, leave the club because that position was taken away. But I've rejoiced, and I was sharing with the guys in the call how many of our long-standing faithful men who have been in the ministry 10, 15, 20, 25 years have embraced those changes because at the end of the day, it is simply their joy to be a soldier for Jesus, to simply testify the gospel. Put me in a parking lot, the farthest parking lot. If I get to share the gospel, then that's where I'll serve. And, And that is endurance, and that is finishing the race. But if we let our flesh take hold, if we let our pride take hold, this is what I'm due, this is what I'm worth, this is what I bring, then it wrecks us, it derails us. He must increase and we must decrease, church. Consider Paul's words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4-5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The God-given grace to be saved and to be sent is so huge for Paul. But he sees himself rightly in a sea of undeserving grace and love of God. He's being called to do huge tasks, writing much of the New Testament, launching much of the church that we now are today is credited to the work of God through Paul. But he sees himself rightly in a sea of undeserving grace and the love of God. And it's his privilege to be given forgiveness, to be entrusted the testimony of the gospel to share with others. Oh, I want us to get this church. Hear Paul's heart as he shares with Timothy, a disciple of his, in another setting, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 12 through 17, I thank him for who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, so humble to say, I was formerly such a wretched person, but I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that our Jesus Christ. He sees clearly who he is. He sees clearly who he was when he was in charge. And it was rotten. He sees who he is now in Christ. He's humbled by it. He sees and savors the grace of God that has been placed on his life. My question for you today is, do you see it? And do you savor it? Do you truly and fully see and savor the grace of God put on your life? Do you see and savor it in such a way that it truly motivates you? It defines you and it genuinely humbles you to die to self and live to Christ. In this you lose grip of what others think. not how you perform or don't perform, you lose grip of that. You lose grip of worrying about how others are treating you. You're not defined by that anymore. You're not held captive to it. It's not about what you do or don't have in the temporary. It's about grace. The grace of God at work in you and through you. Church, you have God's saving grace. And all you ever needed is God's grace. And you're grounded and you're utterly joyful to have it. Before we move on, consider with me the last part of verse 8. Verse 8 says in its entirety, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ. Think about the weight of this statement. He's called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the hater of the Gentiles. He's most famous for his hatred and attack and arrest and murder of the Gentiles. But he is God's choice to be the vehicle of testifying His saving grace for them. Instead of what Paul's flesh used to long for, the Gentiles, his hatred for their death, their persecution. Now in Christ, Paul says he's privileged to bring to them God's love. New life, forever riches in Christ, family adoption. What a transformation. Consider with me the power of the gospel message in this. The beauty of it, the reconciliation for those who were once total enemies with a passionate hatred are now true family. Consider how we this needs to apply to your life. I ask you to be honest in your evaluation who have you resented? Who have you not gotten along with? Who have you at times even hated? Consider with me, church, how the gospel motivates you towards true forgiveness. Reconciliation and love towards them, despite their performance. Now how much of Paul's emphasis here in verse 8 and then in verse 9 and 10 is about the purpose he and we have been entrusted live out in Christ. Church, that purpose is to make much of Christ in all we do. Our purpose for these days that we are in, in all we do and think and say is Christ. Why? Because once you know Christ, there's nothing better to think about. There's nothing better to speak about. It's a win for the enemy to get you distracted on the temporary. To get you over-focused on it. To get you wound up and, 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 and worked up about the temporary church. You have Christ. Once you know Christ, there's nothing better to think or speak about. Nothing better to do with your days than to make much of the holy, sacrificial, victorious Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Church, nothing compares to Jesus. You can't just say this on Sunday you got to live it on Monday, and on Tuesday night, and Thursday morning. See with me in these next three verses the purpose of our days as we aim to make much of Christ. First, there's a call here to gospel preaching. It says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach is to announce good news. One theologian says it this way the calling on those who preach is a calling to bring to light the mystery of the gospel. The goal of faithful preaching of the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, hear me clearly, is illumination, putting light on the gospel and on our good God. It's illumination, church, it's not just heat. If all you get from preaching is warmth, if all you have is warm feelings, you don't have lasting transformation. No, God doesn't want you just to feel convicted or motivated or inspired after hearing a good sermon. That feeling will go away. God wants you to repent as a result of conviction. He wants you to move As a result of motivation. He wants you to worship as a result of inspiration. We who preach can't just give heat. We need to give meat. We need to to give true and helpful light on the truths of God. So that you don't just read a text and move on. So you don't just hear a pithy story or a motivational talk and move on you learn the truths of God and it transforms you. You read it, you see it, you understand it and then you act according to it. Now, sure, good preaching might have a little heat to it. But if all you get is heat and there's no light, no illumination, then you won't know how to act on that heat. You won't know how to be able to see your way out of the kitchen. We need illumination. Church, we need to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The gospel we preach, the gospel we testify for the unbelieving is unto unsearchable riches in Christ. That's not minor. That's not weak. That's not a chest Half full. It's unsearchable. That's how vast. That's how deep. Church, this is not a task that we get to take lightly. It is a wonderful privilege to be sent out to testify. To be entrusted by God with children, friends, co-workers, neighbors, even engagements with total strangers to share this good news with divine appointments that God sets up in unexpected times of life where he puts before you someone who he's opening the, the door of their heart to see and savor the gospel and they have questions or they, or, or, or they give you opportunity to share testimony and you don't pass, you don't stay busy with temporary things, you take that opportunity. We must teach, church, what's at stake. The good news of saving grace for undeserving guilty people. Instead of everlasting suffering, we preach everlasting riches in Christ our Lord. We must take so seriously our calling to minister, our calling to preach, our calling to testify. Paul builds on this in what he says in verse 9. Look with me. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. Who created all things? To bring to light for everyone. To bring what to light? The mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things. The covenant of redemption, as we studied last week, I'll read it to you again. The covenant of redemption is the plan and decree made before creation. It's a covenant made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to graciously redeem the chosen ones from sin and punishment based on the work required of Jesus. All of creation is set in the context of this divine plan. It is the gospel, church, unfolding. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of grace and power of God to redeem undeserving sinners to eternal life through Jesus' perfect sinless life His substitutional, sacrificial death and victorious resurrection from the grave. These sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, from the eternal wrath they deserved and they are reconciled into an eternally secure relationship with God. Church, our purpose is to light it up, to draw people's attention to it in all we do and say. Jesus said so clearly to the disciples, Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Where is your light, brother? Where is your light, sister? How is it at work? Not just in the public settings. Not just in formal settings. But in the the most passing of settings. In driving the car. In checking out at the grocery store. In walking through the hallway at home. It is critical that we let the light of the gospel shine out of us. This needs to be the purpose of our days. What's driving you? What's motivating you through the next hour? Because the unsaved are truly spiritually lost in the darkness of their sin. They need gospel illumination so that if and when it is God's appointment for them, they will repent and believe in Christ alone and be saved. We let the light of Christ shine in our words, our actions, because... Mankind has a darkness problem, and the only solution is the light of Christ. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. John said it this way in John 3.19, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Every person is desperate for the illumination of Christ, to be saved, to broaden the light. But you must understand Jesus is the only one making all things new by changing the way we see. By illuminating our lives. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Colossians 1, 13-14 He, God, delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. In whom, only in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God that Jesus took our deepest darkness and forgave us all our sins. But understand, only Jesus can turn the light on in your heart. By God's grace, you might be feeling the utter despair of stumbling around in the darkness in your life lately. If this conviction is true in you, then hear me, stop trying to navigate the darkness on your own. And by your own power, you'll never overcome it. Instead, run to him who is light. Let Jesus illuminate you to lasting life by his mighty power. Some of you came here today not having ever experienced the true light of Christ. Maybe you've seen the light from a distance, maybe even come to church or played out what you thought was the Christian life. But in the end, all you were doing is standing in the afterglow, but not truly consumed by the light yourself. Today, if this is you, I pray you see what Jesus has done on your behalf. And it is all consuming, all praiseworthy, good news to you. I pray that today you are lit by the life that is Christ. And you repent of your sin and you trust your life entirely to Jesus. If you do this, tell us. We want to rejoice with you, we want to celebrate this saving grace of God in your life for those who are saved by Jesus we must see that we are now possessors of the light the question often asked is why doesn't God just remove us from the darkness altogether I'm so tired of the lostness of this world the evil at work and the answer is God has called us to be a lampstand of the light of Christ so that those who are God's elect who are not yet saved would be saved in his perfect time He's called us to be a city on a hill, to shine the light of Christ bright into the darkness because we have a a future family who God is still bringing into his gates. In God's perfect plan, it's not time yet to take us home, to enjoy God forever as we feast and worship him because the holy city is not yet filled with all those that God has ordained to join us. Church we rejoice that heaven is coming but we need to be patient and know that it's not yet time. I love the verse in Proverbs as it points to the path we're on, the coming reality, the path of the righteous. Proverbs 4:18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Church, full day is coming. Holy heaven will be greater than we know how to imagine or hope. But our path now is for righteous living, for showing others the light of Christ. This is the purpose of our days until He calls us home, until that full day. We cannot be casual about our God given call, we have to take it seriously. We are called to continue to labor and struggle in this dark world with the light of Christ, knowing that God is at work, knowing that God is on the throne knowing that God will save all of His. Beloved, we too must bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Look with me now at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Church, again, we're called to make Him known. We do this by making the gospel known, the perfect and holy plan of God. The manifold wisdom of God can be made known to a watching world, to a spiritual watching world. Paul says the rulers and authorities here, when he says that, he's talking about cosmic rulers, spiritual authorities, angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim alike, see the wisdom of God unfold in who? In you, in the redeemed, the church. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1.12. It is revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Do you realize a Jewish rabbi, the wisest of men, And no angel above has the insight into the gospel like you do. The church. The saved. We have a plumb line straight to God the Father because of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said it well when he said, There is no creature in heaven more privileged than the humblest believer who has come to under the depth of this great ministry. Look at verse 10 again. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. I want you not to miss this massive statement Paul's making here. God has ordained that through us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the most important rulers and authorities on earth and in the heavenly places. History is watching the world is watching. Think about this. John Stott wrote about this well. I love this point. Secular history concentrates its attention on kings, queens, presidents, politicians, generals. In fact, on VIPs. The Bible concentrates rather on a group it calls the saints. Often little people, insignificant people, unimportant people, who are, however, at the same time, God's people and for that reason are both unknown to the world and yet well-known to God. Secular history concentrates on wars, battles, peace treaties, followed by yet more wars, battles, and peace treaties. The Bible concentrates rather on a war between good and evil, on the decisive victory won by Jesus Christ over the powers of darkness, on the peace treaty ratified by his blood, on the sovereign proclamation of the amnesty for all rebels who will repent and believe. Again, secular history concentrates on the changing of the world map as one nation defeats another on the rise and fall of empires. The Bible concentrates rather on a multinational community called the church, which has no territorial frontiers, which claims nothing less than the whole world for Christ. Whose empire will never come to an end. Amen? Think about what you're part of, church. Realize the mystery of Christ unveiled in our story. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus became the very turning point in history by which we even number our years. BC, meaning before Christ, AD, means in the year of our Lord. So this year of 2020, it has been 2,020 years since the birth of our Lord. See God's plan of redemption as it centers around Christ's life, death, and resurrection. How all of creation is set in in the context of this divine plan. See how all of God's work in the world centers around Christ's life, death, and resurrection. See how the church is the instrumental part of God's plan. As we, the body of Christ, are commissioned to go and make disciples of the nations. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And finally for today, verse 11. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has revealed his covenant of redemption. His plan and promise made before all creation, now has been made known. The mystery has been revealed. The Messiah has come. Salvation has come for a chosen people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is huge news. This has been God's plan from the beginning, and it is still happening by His sovereign decree. The grace of God is at work, church, and we are an instrumental part of it not only in being the recipients of grace, but in being the announcers of it for those that God will still save. May we take our ministry most seriously every day. May we be humble and remain so very humble before God and man that we have nothing to boast in but Christ. May our making Christ known to the nations be our true prayer and purpose for every one of our families. This is truly amazing grace. So we take making disciples and being discipled very seriously. This work of the church is the most essential service there is to mankind. It is up to you to be faithful to it. May we be oh so privileged to serve our master and make much of him in all we do. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time to study Your Holy Word. We thank You for Your work in and through Paul to write this letter that we would be blessed to grow in these truths, to be moved, to be convicted, to be to be sent. Lord God, we thank You for the ways in which You're at work in and through us. The 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 work that you might be doing right now, this very moment, this very day, to bring saving faith to those who are dead in sin. To bring out of the confusion of religious practice or upbringing those who have still yet to make you truly Savior and Lord, that it is your time to give them a heart of flesh, to give them that saving faith that transforms them from the inside out. Oh, we're privileged to link arms with them and, and run this race. Thank you for the work you're doing and many to bring us to truth, to bring us to a conviction to teach truth and make disciples. The work you're doing through our church, we're privileged to be part of. May we preach, testify, minister in the most humble way to see that we're saved by grace and that we're pointing to grace in all we do. May that grace be at work in and through us. Bring great clarity for that grace, Lord, even as we sing now and prepare to go. We worship You. It is our joy to worship You, the living God. Because of Christ we pray. Amen.